Good morning, everybody. We're really glad you're here today, and just want to welcome all of you, especially if you're new to our church, want to say we're glad you're here today. I want you to know uh, we have something special coming up this Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. We have a smart money event, uh, a live streaming event will happen in this room. And I uh, really want to encourage you to be there. It'll be 8 o'clock. They're going to go over, Dave Ramsey and his daughter, over the basics of what they offer in their Financial Peace University. And, it, and it's going to be, again, a live simulcast. And so we're hosting. That's free. I want to encourage you guys to be there for that. And then that's going to kind of be a precursor to the Financial Peace University, which we're going to do in January. You'll learn more about that later. You know, all of us in some way or another have dealt with fear in our lives, fear over a crisis or over some issue. And uh, I want to have you watch a video of a couple who dealt with some fear in their life and uh, how they how they came out of it check this out
There are two reasons why I love that video. Uh, one, because grace is involved. Uh, the grace that she had for him and the way they related through that. But I also love it just because of the realness of that. You know, I think when it comes to fear and anxiety, I, when I think about my own life, the areas where I've had the most fear and anxiety has been over one of two or three issues, uh, either health, right, health issues, health of family members or friends or, or personal health. Uh, secondly, my kids, right? Uh, when you think about your kids and what they're going through, what will they do in life? What will they experience? Are they fitting in? Those are questions that we have. And then this third area of finances. I mean, every single one of us at some point has faced the challenge of financial hardship and stress. How do we navigate through that? How, how do we trust the Lord through those kind of times? And that's the reason we're starting this series for four weeks in the month of November called Living Beyond. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to live beyond destructive debt, live beyond financial fear, live beyond the mindset of me or mine, and live beyond guarded giving. We're going to go through this. It's going to be highly practical. It's going to be very scriptural as always. But we're just going to see how do we live beyond where we currently are. The verse come, the, the, the theme comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which says, In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So if you've ever dealt with fear, in particular fear over finances, this series is for you, this message is for you. So it wouldn't surprise you guys, I don't think, to learn that most Americans have trouble with money. Four out of five Americans owe more than they own. 40% borrow more money than they can make monthly payments on. The American family, average American family, is three weeks away from bankruptcy. According to the Social Security Administration, uh, 85 out of 100 Americans have less than $250 in cash saved by the time they're 65. The average American family gives 2% to charitable organizations, and about 50% of marriages that die, die over financial issues. It's not sexual issues, sexuality issues in a couple, intimacy issues. It is finance and money that cause a lot of tension. How many of you would say that you have dealt with in some area of your life uh, over some period of time an issue about worrying about money? Would you just raise your hand? Yeah. I mean, all of us have faced that kind of a moment where we wonder, where's it going to come from and uh, how are we going to deal with it? And so we're going to look at the Bible today, how to deal with fear of finances. And what I want to do is tell you what the Bible does not say and what the Bible does say. Because it's just as important to understand what the Bible doesn't say because there's some misteaching about there about this. Here's what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible does not say God, God never promises you material wealth. The Bible never says that. God does not promise that when you become a Christian, you're automatically going to become independently wealthy. We don't have a financial bonus program, sign up with God, and suddenly you're going to become wealthy. But there is a false teaching out there, a false theology that says, if you just have enough faith in God, he's going to make you healthy and wealthy and prosperous. You guys remember Tammy Faye Baker? She said one time, if you pray for a new car, make sure you tell God what color you want, because you're going to get that color. Listen, God is not some kind of cosmic genie out there just waiting to make a, make a wish uh, for you happen. He does not promise material wealth. 
Now, the Bible does say that a righteous man has a better chance of prosperity since he's honest, he's a hard worker, and he doesn't spend his money wastefully. Proverbs 28, 25, he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Proverbs 13, 21, misfortune pursues the sinner, but prosperity is the reward of the righteous. My grandfather, who was a preacher and then became a businessman, started his own nursing home in North Carolina. One time he told me, Stephen, the only way to succeed in business is to be honest. If you're not honest in your business, ultimately people will see through that. The writer of Proverbs said it this way, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. So the diligent, the righteous, have a better opportunity at prosperity than those who are wicked. But we can all come up with examples of people that we know that are wicked in their behavior, and yet they're still prosperous, and we wonder, God, why are you blessing them? What's going on? Last year, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, and they were able to cash in on their victory, even though Gronkowski is notorious, has a notorious reputation for being a partier. And some might say, well, how can he be blessed if he's so willing to party? But the Bible really is clear that it will rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, there will be times that seem successful for those who are wicked, but ultimately God is the judge. And a lot of righteous people in the Bible were wealthy, but there were a lot of them who weren't wealthy. In fact, Jesus himself said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The Apostle Paul said it this way, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So God does not promise material wealth. He also does not promise freedom from financial hardship. When you become a Christian, you're not automatically exempt from financial struggle or difficulty. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I mean, that is a guarantee. Every single person in this room, young or old, whether or not you've experienced yet, you will. All of us are going to have trouble in some area. God has not promised us freedom from financial hardship. In fact, in James, he writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And notice he does not say, if you will have troubles of many kinds, he says, whenever you're going to face them, consider it pure joy. It's going to happen. If you don't believe me, look at an Old Testament example. First Kings 17, Elijah the Tishbite was called upon to be the mouth of God during the reign of Ahab, one of the most wicked rulers in the history of Israel, and God called Elijah to speak against him. And it says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives who I must serve, there will be neither dew nor rain the next four years except for that God at my word. And now you'd think God would allow Elijah to be prosperous. I mean, after all, he was called by God. God used him. But instead, God said, Elijah, you're going to go in isolation for a while. You're going to go to a river, a ravine. You're going to drink from that ravine. Not only that, the ravens are going to feed you. Now, I don't know if you guys are into birds or not, but we had a bird for a while. Thank goodness we got rid of that thing. It was the loudest, most annoying thing ever. Hannah's still heartbroken by it, but it was a cockatoo. It was huge. It had dander everywhere. It was the loudest, stinkiest, most worst decision we had ever made. And we finally sold it to a woman who actually likes birds. But they're disgusting. And ravens in particular are scavengers. Can you imagine the kind of meat that was provided by this bird? 
that would provide for Elijah. So here his, is his reward for loving God. You get sent in isolation by a ravine and you get fed by dirty birds. In fact, it's so bad the Israelites weren't even allowed to eat uh, ravens because they were detestable, the book of Leviticus said. So what we learn through that is God does not promise financial wealth. He also does not pr- promise heart, uh, provision or freedom from uh, financial difficulty. All of us are going to face those times. But did that mean that God had left Elijah? No. God used that to develop his character, to prepare him for greater things in the future. So what does God promise? God doesn't promise wealth or even freedom from financial hardship, but he does promise to take care of you through those. One thing I learned through the scripture is God promises basic provisions for the believer. Look at Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Matthew 6. Friends, if God makes sure that the birds have enough to eat, and if God made sure and went to the trouble of sending ravens to provide for Elijah, won't he provide for the needs of those that he loved? He does promise he will take care of your needs. Philippians chapter 4 says it this way. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Can you read that out loud with me as a promise from God? And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You talk about a promise, gang. According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, he will meet your needs. Notice it doesn't say he will meet your greeds, but he does say he will meet your needs. Uh, I was counseling with somebody recently. And they're young and inexperienced, and they're in the middle of a difficult time. And I was able to say, hey, look, because I've been at this for 25 years. I was ordained in 1992. In fact, we just had my 25 college year reunion just last weekend. I didn't go, you know, because I only had 10 classmates or 20 who went to it, and I figured, no big deal. But when I told Jess Romano that I was going to think about going to my class reunion, it's 25 years. She went, 25 years from college, she said? You are so old. I was like, that, that's not respectful. But that's, and she's like, you're so old. I was like, you're right, I am. But here's the thing that happens with being, having 25 years of experience doing what I do. I have seen people walk through the most difficult challenges, the hardest trials, health, finances, job, insecurity, eating disorders, death. And I've walked people through those things, and I was able to tell this person in counseling, listen, I know, not only from the Word of God, but through my own experience, you will be okay. You're going to make it. Just believe that you're going to make it, because I believe it's true. And I've seen it happen time and time again. If people will allow God to work in their life, He works in their life. And as much and as difficult as the financial hardship is that you might be facing today, you will come out of the other side. And when you do, you will look back with a different perspective. You'll look back and say, wow, I learned some things through this. I grew through this in a way that I never expected to. God will lead you through that if you will allow him. Listen to the words of the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 34.10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Or Psalm 
37, 25, I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. God promises basic provision for the believers. And he also promises freedom from worry. America is the richest nation in the history of the world, yet as a country, we are hooked on on drugs that are meant to curb our anxieties. Tranquilizers, alcohol, sleeping pills are regularly consumed by people who are consumed with worry. And yet when I go to other places in the world, I watch how people who have almost nothing deal with these issues in their life. And they are so joyful, and they have very little, and they are so content with what they have. And yet here, where we have so much, we deal with so much worry. Why? Why? Friends, when we understand that God promises to take care of our needs, don't we think that would help calm the concerns of those of us who who rise our hands and say, yes, I've worried about money? You see, if we really believe that God's word is God's word, and you do believe that, right? Amen? Thank you. Thank you. You do believe God's word is God's word, right? Okay, thank you. Thank you. It's good. I'll give you a second chance. Then you can stop being consumed about worry because God promises you it will be okay. Now, listen, I didn't say don't budget. I didn't say you shouldn't work. I didn't say that you shouldn't save. I just simply said you shouldn't worry. Jesus, in fact, commanded that. Do not worry. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see that last verse? All these things will be given to you when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we do that, we don't have to worry. The problem is when we flip-flop that. The trouble is when we put things in front of his kingdom and his righteousness, it stretches us, stretches our finances to the limit. We try to have it all, and we miss the very most important thing. Friends, I want you to understand, material possessions are not bad. If you have... uh, goals financially and you've established those and you have worked hard toward them god honors that and i believe that god doesn't have anything against you purchasing something within your means you have the ability to do but friends when our priorities are out of whack and we put things in front of god i mean when we stretch past the limit and we seek first the king cab instead of his kingdom come on now when we seek first alexis instead of his righteousness you're in trouble you got to keep your priorities right. God promises basic provision, and he promises freedom from worry. And thirdly, he promises blessings for those who tithe. God does not promise freedom from, financial, from all financial hardship, but when you give to him and you give generously, he makes an extraordinary promise in the book of Malachi. Listen to what it says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your, devouring your crops, and, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Now, a tithe in the Old Testament was 10% of their income. It might have been 10% of their harvest or 10% of their livestock, but it was 10% of their earnings. And God said in the Bible, test me in this. Giving that first 10% meant you were trusting God for the rest. It means that you're saying, God, I trust that you're going to take care of the rest because I have given back to you. Friends, I've learned in my life you cannot outgive God. I've witnessed that many, many times. To my knowledge, this is the only passage in the Bible where God says, test me. 
Test God and see if the promise is true. You give, give a tithe, and he will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing. It may not always be financial blessing, but it's spiritual blessing. It's growth. It's character developing. It helps us establish margin in our lives. It is so difficult to explain, but I believe it to be a true spiritual principle because the word of God says it and because our family has experienced. The Lord will bless you if you tithe. You may not get rich by the world's standards. You may not have everything that you want, but you will be blessed with plenty for God is faithful. And God also promises spiritual blessings to the sacrificial giver. So friends, if I were to give you an investment fund that had a 10,000% return on, on that investment at retirement, for every dollar you put in, you're going to receive $100 at retirement, whether you're 20 years old or 50 years old today, how many of you would actually say yes to that investment? I would. Jesus said, everybody who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Great blessing await the people who are willing to give generously for Christ's sake in this life. Jesus said it this way, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, if you believe the word of God and you believe the words of Jesus, you have to believe that passage. And if Jesus says, look, whatever measure you use, that'll be measured back to you. I kind of want to use a big old measuring cup instead of a little dinky teaspoon because God said it. There's an old parable that used to go like this. A beggar asked a king for a gift and the king said, first, what do you have to give me? And the beggar had one small sack of corn hidden in his cloak, but he was afraid that the king would take advantage of him. And so he reached into his cloak. He pulled out one small kernel of corn and handed it to the king, thinking that maybe the king would think that was all he had. And then the king reached into his bag of gold and handed the beggar a piece of gold the same size as his kernel of corn. How that man had wished then that he had given the king all he had. And friends, the practice of giving back to the Lord is all through the scriptures. In the Old Testament, it was a tithe. That was the standard for giving. In the New Testament, we're simply commanded to give generously. For all of our marriage, Lisa and I have made that commitment that we would be tithers, that we would give 10% of our income back to the Lord, and we would funnel that through the church, and that there would be other occasions where God would ask us to give more, whether it be some type of campaign that we're in or whether it be some need outside of our church or within our church, something that we felt like God was leading us too. And those are times for us to be generous beyond that. Now, friends, listen, God is not our waiter, but God is our Lord. Now, let me ask you, if, a, if you were to set the standard for giving for a waiter, what would that be? It used to be 10%, didn't it? Now it's 15. It's going up, but uh, it's 15 now. And, uh, and if they do a good job, you go, okay, I'm going to give them 15%. You did a good job. Not a great job. You did okay. But if they did a really good job, then what would you do? You'd look at each other and go, wow, you and your spouse would go, wow, let's give them a little bit more because they did a little bit better job and they really served us well. You might even give them 18. You might give them 20. Friends, God is not our waiter. But when you give, you understand God owns it all and we are just stewards of what he has given us. The Old Testament, he commanded we to turn 10%. New Testament, he said, give generously. Why? Because he gave to us. He gave his son Jesus the promise of eternal life the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church that edifies us and encourages us, and he simply asks that we give generously. That's that's the ask and then the promise. 
2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all, all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Bob Benson compared this life to a picnic one time. He said, let's just say that you were out, uh, you were just out in the park, you're going to have your own picnic, all you brought was a singular bologna sandwich. And suddenly a family you recognize approaches you, and they sit near you, and they begin to break out their picnic lunch, and you start smelling what they have. In fact, they look over at you with your poor little bologna sandwich, and they say, hey, why don't you come over here, and we have fried chicken, potato salad, coleslaw, baked beans, cherry pie, all the fixings, and they say, Hey, Stephen, it's kind of our practice that we share everything we have. Why don't you join us? And if you pitch in and share your bologna sandwich, we'll share our lunch with you. Now, how many of you would share your bologna sandwich for some chicken? Amen. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, some, and some potato salad and cherry pie. I mean, I would. And here's the thing. God says, I've already given you that bologna sandwich, and I'm not even requiring you give me the whole thing. Just give me a bite. Give me a portion. Be faithful in that. God owns all things, and he asks us to be good stewards of what he's given us. And when we do, he knows he can trust you in return. You see, when we trust him enough to say, God, I trust you with the remainder. I trust you with the rest. Thank you, God, for blessing me. What God does is say, now I know I can trust you to give more. In the book Life Preserves, the author tells about playing Monopoly with his family on vacation. And one particular night, they were playing Monopoly. Anybody in here good at Monopoly? You ever played that recently? Uh, I haven't played in a long time, but anybody in here cutthroat at Monopoly? Jonathan was always pretty good at Monopoly. He used to irritate me a lot. But anyway, so we played Risk and Monopoly. But when he played Monopoly, uh, oftentimes he would just gather up all the totals, and I would end up throwing the board at the end after I was losing. You know how it is when you're a younger sibling. But this guy, he was playing Monopoly, and he was really on a roll. And, and uh, the first time around the board, he landed on Boardwalk. The next time, he landed on Park Place. Before long, he owned all four railroads and Indiana, Illinois, and Kentucky avenues. He was unstoppable. Within an hour, he had hotels on every property and was raking it in. Somebody would land on his property, and he would smirk. Oh, that's $500. Oh, wait, I have a hotel on that. That's $1,000. And one by one, he was destroying his family members financially, and each one of them were going bankrupt. And finally, the last person went bankrupt, and he was the Monopoly champ, and the rest of the family trudged off the bed. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody's got to clean this up. One of his kids looked back and said, that's the prize for winning, Dad. You get to clean up this game. So suddenly there he sat, surrounded by all of his wealth and no friends. The game was over. And so he picked up the pieces, he placed them back in the box, he put the money in the box, and he closed the lid. Dr. James Dobson compared the Christian life to a Monopoly game. How empty we will feel if we stand before God someday. And our emphasis throughout our life has been on material things. Suddenly, all the wealth that we've accumulated won't matter. We have to leave it behind. What will matter is whether or not we were honest, compassionate, and generous with what God has given us. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So friends, when you're facing financial fear and pressure, remember, God promises daily provision. He promises an eternal perspective. He promises a spirit of contentment, freedom from worry, and treasure in heaven if we will trust Him and be generous with what we have been given. So don't worry. Those of you who are consumed with worry today, realize that 90% of what you worry about, statistics say, will never, ever happen. Never happen. So don't worry. Trust in the Lord and actually put your trust in Him. Know that He can provide for you. Give back to Him in a way that says, God, we want to honor you. Because why? The best, greatest provision that God has ever given us came in the form of His Son, Jesus who provided for the payment for our sin that we deserve, the death penalty. He died on the cross to offer us eternal reward, heaven, and life with Him. And some of you today may be running as hard as you can to make your mark in this world, and today I'm encouraging you to run just as hard and harder toward the cross. He can make His mark on you. That's why the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. He gave. And that's why we give in return. So this series is going to be very practical, gang. Next week, destructive debt. The week after that, we're going to be talking about guarded giving and what it means to be guarded and how we give back to God and instead releasing to Him. We're going to be talking about the kind of financial pressure that all of us face from time to time. And what I want to ask you to do as you walk through this series is to really be honest about with God Are you seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Are you seeking first the mindset of mine? Are you saying, God, me first? Or are you saying, God, you first? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. God, we trust you. God, we believe in you. God, as a community of faith, we stand together, united, to say that we believe in your mission. We believe what you've done on this earth. We believe in the church. We believe in the hope that you've given us through Christ. And we want to do everything we can to advance that kingdom here on earth. But God, we also want to demonstrate our trust to you and how we live our lives and how we serve and how we give back to you. Because we, we know, God, that when we seek first your kingdom, that you've already promised us you're going to take care of our needs. You care about us so much more than the lilies of the field or the grass of the of the field or the or the birds of the air. And you clothe them in all their splendor. And God, you also care for us. So God, I pray that if we came in here with fear today, we leave with assurance. If we came in with worry, we leave with a with a mindset and a confidence to know that you are our God. And God, if we came in here with misplaced priorities, I pray that we would take a serious look at that. And we'd be open to available to hear your word because because we give God you allow us to give not for for you you've already got everything you tell us to give for us so you can help us grow into your likeness help us to trust you more God we worship you now we praise you if there's somebody here who's never accepted you God I pray they do that today we ask in Jesus name Amen. hey listen we're going to stand and sing
If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never said publicly that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you've never repented of your sin, you've never come before God and said, God, I'm so sorry for what I've done, you've never confessed that to other, to other people, and you never followed the basic command of Jesus to go and be baptized, I encourage you to come today. We'll pray for you, talk with you through that decision. We'd love to see you make that commitment.